You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. Uh, my name's Chip. If you don't know me, um, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Josh already said welcome. If you are uh, brand new, let me extend that as well. Uh, if it is by chance your first Sunday, uh, it's a great Sunday to be here. We're starting a new um, short little three-week sermon series called Big Rocks First, uh, prioritizing the important that uh, phrase, uh, the idea of Big Rocks First, if you're not familiar with that. Back in uh, 1989, Stephen Covey uh, wrote his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The printed version of that book um, has sold a little over 40 million copies. The audio version became the first audio book ever uh, to sell over a million copies. Uh, and in that book, Covey introduced or included this story. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's a great illustration one way or the other of a, a college professor who was teaching a class on the importance of rightly ordering your to-do list of rightly prioritizing the things uh, in your life. And so the illustration, according to Covey, that this college professor used was putting rocks in a jar. And he said, if you put sand, uh, if you've got sand and gravel and big rocks, if you put the sand in first and then the gravel and then the big rocks, you run out of room. But if you'll put the big rocks in the jar first, and then the gravel, and then the sand, those smaller pieces will kind of shift around and sift around and find their way in, and you can actually fit everything in. And so it was a lecture about the importance of prioritizing the right things. Everything that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks is geared in that direction. It's designed to do really two main things. The first one is, it's designed to help you put your big rocks in kind of the metaphorical jar of your life, to, to identify what those are and to prioritize them moving forward. Because if you don't intentionally do that, what will happen is you're going to just kind of by default, you'll drift towards things that are urgent over things that are important. And what's going to happen is we're going to get to the new year, and you're going to wonder where the fall went. You're going to resolve to do better in 2023. And when January starts, you're going to jump right back on the hamster wheel of trying to keep up with the things in your life that feel really urgent. And then you're going to get to Easter, and again, you will have neglected the important things. So that's the first thing it's designed to do, is to help you to prioritize the important in your own life and put the big rocks in your own jar first. And the second thing is it's designed to give you some insight into or clarity about what we believe are our big rocks as a faith family. Of, as a church, what are the things that we want to prioritize. We are in the middle of a season where we are turning the corner as a church. We are moving kind of out of a season of establishing the ministry, of laying a foundation for a healthy, gospel-centered church that we 
prayerfully and by God's grace believe will still be serving and shaping this community that we're in long after all of us are with the Lord. But we're moving into, so we're kind of moving out of that season. We're moving into a season of growth, a season of building on the foundation that we have laid during the first five years through global pandemics and whatnot. We're moving into a season of building on that foundation with leaders and systems and ministries that we believe will allow us to pursue our vision to be a gospel community on mission for Charleston and the world with a, with a focus and with an urgency um, that I just believe God will use to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine in the years ahead. And so when you came in, there was this postcard on your seat. <clears throat> this is going to be our guide for the next three weeks. In about 20 minutes, you're going to figure out a shortcut on how to fill out your sermon notes this morning and for the next three weeks. So spoiler alert uh, on that. But um, this is also going to be our guide in the season ahead for us as a church. You're going to start seeing us use this language more and more often in different ministry environments and different circles. So my encouragement to you is to take one of these home. We've got hundreds of them. They're going to be on your seat again for the next two weeks. So, you, you know, take two or three if you want. But, but take one of them. Um, put it on your fridge. There's already one on our fridge in the Robinson house. Um, tape it up near your desk at work. If you come into my office, there's one taped up uh, just to the right-hand side of my monitor. Put this somewhere in front of you, literally, physically, where you can see it so that you can remind yourself of the importance of prioritizing the big rocks in your own life. You with me? Two people over here. Here's my challenge, or here's your challenge. What I know is that even before I even start to talk about this, some of you look at these things, and in your mind, as I'm talking, you're thinking, those aren't my big rocks. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've got going on. I mean, that sounds good. You're about to give me a bunch of this religious stuff that I need to start doing. I'm here already, kind of reluctantly, but my wife said we had to come. And so, you know, if you understood my calendar, if you knew my schedule, these aren't my big rocks. I get it. I do. <laughs> I understand. Chris and I moved our middle daughter up to Clemson. Uh, Tuesday of last week, our youngest daughter is a senior in high school now. If you've had a senior in high school, as we've now, she's our third. The next 60 to 90 days of her life are going to be unbelievably uh, cram-packed full of things that we have to do. Uh, in the last 30 days, I've been on the phone with family members who have health problems and ex-wife problems and money problems. We've got uh, one car that needs brakes and another one that needs an oil change. Um, as I was writing my manuscript for this uh, sermon on Friday, I stopped. And if you've ever been in my office, um, like I'm old school, I like yellow legal pads. I like to write down what I have to do because I have to put it in front of me. I got to be able to see it or I won't do it. And so I counted up my to-do list either there or the one that I keep on my phone. I had 112 to-do items. 112, either home or work combined, home and work combined, 112 things right now. And that's the things I remembered to write down. <laughs> so it's probably more like 125 or 30, right? 
So I get it. You're busy. So am I. Everybody in here is busy. Uh, congratulations, you have a lot of things to do. That's why we're going to spend three weeks soaking in this idea. The point of it is everybody in here is busy and has a lot of things to do. So the question is, what gets done if everything can't get done? What gets done first? What big rocks go in the jar first so that you prioritize the important? Hear me, I am not trying to add to your to-do list. I am not trying to be a Pharisee and lay heavy burdens on you that are hard to carry. Don't hear that, okay? The things we're going to talk about over the next three weeks is not a minimum list of things that you have to do to be a good Christian. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't, don't hear me saying that. But here's Jesus' promise in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to people who are busy. He's talking to people who are anxious about how it is that everything in their life is going to get done. What are they going to have for dinner? Did they get in their gallon of water today that they committed to drink? Their bodies are hurting or failing or don't look like they want them to. Their clothes are out of style or out of season or don't fit the way that they used to anymore. And in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he addresses these very real, very human, very timeless concerns. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or about what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. We skip down to verse 31. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom. It's an imperative command about the importance of prioritizing the right things. It's a command from the Lord Jesus to make sure that the right rocks go in the jar first. This is Jesus saying, I get it. Dinner and working out and the doctor appointment and trying to figure out how you're going to get to the next paycheck, those things matter. They do. Those are important things. They're urgent things, but they aren't actually the big rocks. They're the pebbles in the sand. Yes, they have to go into the jar. He's not suggesting you don't take care of those things. He's saying they're not the first thing that needs to happen. If you'll seek First, the kingdom and the righteousness of God, then all of these things will be added to you. And I know that over the next three weeks, that's going to be hard for some of you to wrap your head around. It's going to be even harder for some of you to wrap your heart around. And you're going to struggle to get on board with the idea that with everything else you have going on in your life, you should prioritize spiritual activity in your life. So did the people Jesus was talking to in Matthew 6. So if you feel like, man, I just wish I lived at a simpler time. If we just go back to a time 
when the early church was starting up and nobody had Wi-Fi and I had to worry about emails and there's no electricity so when the sun went down we could just relax and go to sleep. And like, no, you'd be anxious and busy then too. Because they were too. This is the people that Jesus is talking to. Again, that's why we're going to spend three weeks talking about it. And that's why over the course of the next several months and years, you're going to hear us again and again use the language that is on this card because we are trying to, in a season where we are turning a corner, to give simple, clear uh, focus on these are the things that are the most important. If nothing else gets done, these things have to get done because we all have to be reminded from time to time to prioritize the important. And so we're just going to talk about big rocks for the next several weeks. We're going to start with this big rock. First one is to make it a priority to grow in the gospel. Make it a priority in your life to grow in the gospel. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. He says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The biggest rock, the thing of first importance, is the gospel itself. And notice that Paul does not use the gospel as a jumping off point to get to the real stuff. I would remind you of the gospel which you received. That's in the past. He's writing to Christians, people who have already received the gospel. In which you stand, that's their present. It's what is maintaining them day by day and by which you are being saved. That's this ongoing, continuing action in the future. The gospel is not being used by Paul as the diving board. It's the pool. It is the substance of the thing itself. If King's Cross is your home, we want you to grow in the gospel. Everything else will flow from this, from growing in your knowledge of and you're living your life as a response to the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's our heart for you. But we can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. Josh can't design enough small groups and give you enough opportunities. Beth can't make the women's retreat rich enough. Like, we can't do it for you. You have to make a conscious decision to intentionally prioritize growing in the gospel. There's three ways we want to do that primarily together as a faith family. There's many more, but again, can't do everything, right? So what are the big rocks of that if we're going to grow in the gospel together? The first one is this. You grow in the gospel through knowing Christ. Through knowing Christ. Christ. 
Not everyone in this room, not everyone who's going to listen to the podcast or watch the video later this week is already a Christian. If you are not a Christian yet, we want you to know and to believe that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he then appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over a period of 40 days. That at the end of that 40 days, he ascended bodily into heaven, where even now, as we stand here talking and thinking about him and singing songs about him, he is ruling and reigning over all things, from where one day in the future, on a day that only God the Father knows, he will return to judge the living and the dead, and to make all things new again. We want you to know that and to believe that and to live your life as a response to that. So your first step, if you're not a Christian yet, to growing in the gospel is to believe it. To believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he did what the scriptures claim that he did, and to know Christ personally, not because your parents believed it or because your grandparents believed it, not because your spouse really wants you to believe it, but because you know these things are true. For you to do that, you have to first recognize that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from God and that you cannot save yourself. You have to repent of that sin Asking God to forgive you, but not based on your own goodness or your own resolve to do better. It's not a bargain. It's not, God, if you'll forgive me, I promise I'll never. It's not that. You, you ask for forgiveness based on what Christ has already done. Because you believe that he has done everything necessary for your salvation. Because you believe the most important, the thing of first importance, is that he died, was buried, and was raised again according to the scriptures. And then you begin a lifelong journey of living in response to what you have come to believe. If you've never done that, we would love to talk with you more about that. There's a connection card in the seat back in front of you. If you just check on there that you'd like to talk with someone more about this, come grab me or any of our staff or pastors at the church. Just say, hey, I'd love to talk with like. What, I think maybe I'm close to believing this. Could we have a conversation about it? Or if someone loved you enough to invite you here today, just to ask them, hey, could, could we go like up the road to Jersey Mike's and just grab a sub after church? I'd love to talk with you more about what it looks like to know Jesus because I'm not sure if I do. The person who invited you would love to go to lunch and talk with you about that. Hang out in the lobby. You don't have to go anywhere. If you want to hang out in the lobby and have a conversation about Jesus, you can stay all afternoon. We will not kick you out, I promise, okay? We want you to know Christ. If you are already a Christian, we want you to know him more next year than you do now. None of us, least of all me, are ever, this side of heaven, are ever going to know Jesus fully. Scripture says there will be a day we know fully even as we're fully known. But on this side of that day, we're not, you don't ever arrive at a full knowledge of Jesus. So we want you to be growing in the gospel, to be growing in your knowledge of him. 2 Peter 3.18 says we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You say, well, I know him. What more is there? Kristen and I 
I've been married uh, 23 years this July. I know her more now than I did in July of 1999 when she walked down the aisle of First Baptist Church, Mount Pleasant, looking like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen on God's earth. I know her more now than I did in June of 2005 when she gave birth to our third daughter. I know her more now than I did in September of 2016 when we launched King's Cross Church together. And by God's grace, in July of 2051, when we celebrate our 50th anniversary, I'll know her more then than I do now. You with me? And here's the thing. She's finite. Jesus is infinite. How much more should my heart long to know and to treasure and to learn about Jesus? To be in a relationship with him that's growing. I don't want to have this thing that happened to me when I was seven years old at VBS at Grace Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, be the place where my knowledge stopped growing. How tragic would it be if the last time I learned anything new about Kristen was in July of 1999? So if you're a Christian, we want you to grow in your knowledge of Christ. And part of my job as your pastor is to fan into flame this hunger in you to know Christ. It, it, it's to whet your appetite for more of him. I, like Part of my job is to be a signpost on your spiritual journey so that every Sunday I can just get up here and see, look, see him, keep going, it's worth it. Don't you want to know him? But like, I can't do that well enough for it to be the only thing you get. I, I, can't, I can't feed you enough for these moments to be the only nourishment that you have. I, like, I'm just not good enough to keep your spiritual balloon in the air. It's not the way that God has designed me or you. If you are going to grow in the gospel and in your knowledge of Christ, you will also have to, second, practice spiritual habits. You will have to grow through spiritual habits. This is one of the ways you're going to grow in the gospel. Through spiritual habits. Those habits happen not exclusively, but by and large, they happen at times other than this and at places other than this. Okay, mo corporate worship is a spiritual habit. Yes and amen. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But like most of your spiritual habits are going to happen when you are away from this place so that you can fan your own flame, so that you are wetting your own appetite, so that you are feeding yourself between these corporate gatherings that we have. And say, so, well, I don't really know what spiritual habits are. Let me just give you a few. Um, we could go on and on. Spiritual habits like reading and studying the Bible. Josh was just talking about that, right? Because Josh wants to grow in the gospel and to grow in his own knowledge of Christ. And so he is practicing with his grow group the spiritual habit of Bible reading, memorization, and study. It's habits like prayer, like corporate and individual worship. Like sharing the gospel with people who are close to you but far from God. 
like serving in and serving through the church. Practicing generosity. It's one of the reasons why we talk about it every week. It's not just because we need your generosity to fuel the mission of the church, though that is true, but also because Scripture teaches us that that is a spiritual discipline. Stewardship is talked in the Scriptures a lot. Habits like fasting, like learning what it looks like to spend time in silence and solitude, to practice Christian meditation, like fellowshipping with other believers. We could go on and on and on. Now, hear me. Let me circle back to where I began. I'm not trying to load you down with things to do, okay? Don't, don't madly scramble to write that list down and think, well, I have to start all that stuff tomorrow. You cannot do everything, amen? I'm not trying to pile up to-dos on your plate. But God has given us certain means of grace by which we grow in the gospel. And so my encouragement to you is to pick one and prioritize it this fall. Pick a spiritual habit and prioritize it this fall. If you are not already practicing spiritual habits on your own, other than coming to worship, which is one, check that box, if you're not practicing other ones. The single most important spiritual habit that you can possibly cultivate in your own life is reading the Bible. That's where you need to begin. Say, well, I don't even, I don't even really know where to start with that. Wonderful. We have resources for you. If you go to our website, kingscross.org, up at the top, you can find adult discipleship. If you click on that, there's a place that says Bible reading plans. Super simple to find. Adult discipleship, Bible reading plans. Josh has cultivated on that page nine different ways that you can read and study the Bible. So there's something for everybody. If you're someone who's a little farther along in your journey, there's a plan there for you. If you're someone who's just about to take the first step, maybe you've never read the Bible, there's a plan there for you. I promise you this, nothing will help you grow in the gospel more than reading God's word. That's the number one thing. Say, so, well, I love to sing and worship in my car. Praise God, amen. It's not going to help you as much as reading the Bible. It's just, well, I love my community group. Yes and amen. We hope that you do. We hope that you keep it. It's not going to help you as much as reading. The number one thing that you can do is to regularly feed yourself on the Word of God. Say, so, well, I already do that. I established a healthy uh, devotional time, time alone with God, whatever you want to call it. Um, years ago, it's been awesome for me. I've grown so much. Praise the Lord. The question you need to ask yourself is, what's next for me? So I have that habit down. That's awesome. Now what? Because you want to build on that foundation that you've already laid for yourself. So my encouragement to you is to learn more about spiritual habits. A couple different resources where you can do that. Again, if you go to our website, you go up to the top of the part where it says watch and listen. Every sermon series we've ever preached, with the exception of a few Sundays when we had technical problems, um, is on there. If you will go to that page where our sermon series are, scroll down to, um, what year was it, 2020. I preached a nine-week sermon series called Draw Near. Draw nears in 2020. Everybody was at home. I was preaching it in my office on a camera. We spent nine weeks talking about this very subject, spiritual habits. So just click on draw near. Look in there at the habits that are there. Pick one. 
It's going to be 25 or 30 minutes worth of sermon series. It can be a launching point for you into what's next. Just pick one of them. So I'm going to add that to reading the Bible. With me? Okay. Is this inner? Y'all got It's hard. The lights are bright. I can't really see your faces sometimes. I need a little feedback. You say, well, that's great. I don't really love that. I'm more of a book person. Awesome. Go find Donald Whitney's classic books, a seminal book on this uh, topic called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Came out in 1991. It's the best book I know of on this subject. I checked this week on Amazon. It's $11. If that's a barrier for you, I'm not making a joke. If that's a barrier for you, come to me. I'll order it for you. The church will pay for it. If you're somebody who would rather digest it in a written form, Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Or if you're somebody who feels like, I mean, that's good, but if I watch a video at home on my laptop, if I read a book, I know I'm just not going to do this. What I really need are some people like Josh was talking about around me that can hold me accountable for this. Take out that connection card on the seat back in front of you. Write your name and put, tell us you want to be in a grow group. And Josh will contact you this week. And he will help you get connected into a grow group. Grow groups are by gender. They're two or three or four people at most. And you can get together and say, hey, here's what we're going to start focusing on uh, this fall together. We're going to grow in these things. So whether you are still exploring faith, whether you've been walking with the Lord for 70 years, we all need to grow in the gospel, all of us. And the best way that you can do that is by consistently practicing biblical, gospel-centered spiritual habits. It is absolutely essential to the process. One more. You will grow in the gospel through worship services. You'll grow in the gospel through worship services. Now, you're here, yes? Even mentally, some of you are here. Right? <laughs> this definitely isn't adding anything to your to-do list. All right? So you're already here. But it's this weird, peculiar thing in like modern Western Christianity where we've de-emphasized gathered corporate worship services. That is utterly in contradiction to everything in the scriptures. It is utterly contrary to everything that you find in the history of the church, to de-emphasize gathered corporate worship. The only time in the history of the church that you will find the people of God consistently fail to gather for worship is in places and times of extreme persecution. And even then, they meet underground. God built into his creative design rhythms of weekly gathered corporate worship. One of the Ten Commandments, ten, not 110, not the first 6,510, the top ten list has on it a rhythm of Sabbath, of setting aside a day to put down the cares of life and to rest and worship. It made the top 10 list. 
unless Christians on this side of the cross feel like, well, you know, that's when Israel was all together. They were out there in the desert, and, you know, that was a different time, but now we've been freed from the law, and the church is now scattered all over the world. It's kind of decentralized, and that's really not that important to God anymore. Okay, fine. The writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that none of us think that. So in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, he reminds the church, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. By encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day, that's the day of Christ's return, drawing near. Hear me, brothers and sisters. If you are a Christian, God commands you to regularly gather for worship services. Now, there's going to be exceptions. You get sick sometimes, you're out of town on holiday. We understand these things happen. It's a home, not a prison, okay? So we've been freed from the law, and yet the law sets guardrails for us. Not being in corporate worship should be the exception, not the rule. And so I understand that during COVID, everybody's spiritual habits change. I totally get that. I do, and I understand that technology allows us, and, and I, I know we, people have season tickets to Clemson, and there are things that come up in the fall and travel sport. I understand. I, I, I get that. But God has commanded these things, and we say, well, why? What, like, what, what real difference does it make? I would suggest to you that there is a nearly infinite number of things happening when the people of God gather to worship. First and foremost, God receives the praise and honor and worship that is rightly due to him. When we gather to worship the God of the Bible, we gather to worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we do that, in addition to him receiving the praise that is rightly due him, all other false gods are denounced because we're not worshiping them. The resurrection of Jesus is remembered and celebrated and declared. For 1,500 years, the people of God gathered on Saturday for worship. And then something happened. And they said, you know what? We're going to worship on Sunday now. It's because on the third day, Jesus was resurrected. So now we gather for 2,000 years, we gather on Sundays. The mere act of showing up at a church for corporate worship on the first day of the week is a remembrance of and a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It sends a signal to the watching world that something is different about Sunday. And I'm not slamming Thursday night worship services or anything like that, so don't read into it. Right? The Word of God is preached when people gather. And the ordinances of the church are practiced in accordance with the teaching of Jesus and the example of the apostles. The Spirit of God enables and empowers believers to worship God rightly. You can read about that in John 4 and Philippians 3. 1 Corinthians 14 says that when the church gathers non-believers who may be in attendance, as some of you here this morning are not yet Christians, and what 1 Corinthians 14 says is when we do this thing that we're doing together, non-believers are convicted by the Spirit and confronted with but also comforted by the gospel, and they come to saving faith. Christians stir one another up, as we just read in Hebrews 10, to love and good deeds. 
I spent some time counting this week. I find 47 times where New Testament Christians are given one another commands. Greet one another, love one another, serve one another, teach one another, admonish one another, fellowship with one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, and on and on and on. 47 times. Do this when you're together. Do these things when you gather together to worship the Lord. Being with one another begins here. It begins in gathered corporate worship. And yes, it extends to things like community groups and equip classes and grow groups and men's retreats and women's retreats and service teams and all kinds of things that we do together. But it begins here with what we do together every week. As we rehearse the gospel in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and in our time in the word, as we remind ourselves of the truth of who God is and what it is that he's done for us in Christ, as we renew friendships out in the lobby and we pray for one another out in the parking lot and we laugh with one another and encourage one another and cry with one another, we grow in the gospel together because we are committed to putting the big rock of worship services into our schedules first. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate two baptisms, one young person and one adult, two lives forever changed because two people have come to a place by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit where they know Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's what we want for every person here and for by God's grace thousands of people who aren't here yet but will be in the decades ahead. We want every person who calls King's Cross home to grow in the gospel as we gather together each week for worship services, as we scatter from here into hundreds of homes and workplaces and schools and small groups across the city as we practice spiritual habits on our own. So my challenge for each of you is we are entering into this new season as both a faith family and as we've turned the corner into a new season in the calendar year where everybody's schedules change up, as your rhythms get reestablished and adjusted, my challenge for you is to make it a priority in your life to grow in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, by your grace and to the praise of your glorious name, to our everlasting joy, we have heard the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And we believe it is of first importance. But we also would ask for the Spirit's help to grow in it that our encounter with the gospel might not be a one-time thing that happened way back then, that those who are being baptized this morning would not cease to grow now that they've come to a place of knowing Christ. Pray that 
but for your sake, for the sake of your mission. Our church might grow in these things, that more and more and more people would gather here to worship you, that you might receive the praise that you're rightly due, that lives might be changed, that spiritual habits might be formed, that more people would know Christ, that heaven would ring with celebrations as sinners, sinners repent. This is what we long for. We know we can't do it on our own. So we need the Spirit to be working in us and to be working through us that by your grace we might see these things manifest themselves more and more and more, not just in the next few months, but in the next several decades and beyond. Would you help us in this for your sake, for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the Word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen, and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.